0: Usually we start off with some kind of opener or something, but I'm going to have us just dig into the text. I really want to encourage you to open the Pew Bible. We're actually going to go to verse or page 11. And for you at home, I want to encourage you, we're going to start at the beginning of chapter 15 of Genesis. Genesis 15. That's the section that we heard out of, and I want you to hear um, I want you to hear more than just this text. Now, as a reminder and a remembrance, this is the story of Abram. Abram is the same guy as Abraham. He was a lowly shepherd who was plucked up by God and decided that um, God decided would do great things with him. His, His name, Abram, means exalted leader and that's what he would become, but then he was also going to then become the leader of a great nation and so that's why God changed Abram's name to Abraham because that's what Abraham means, is leader of a great nation. And so um, the text that we heard leading into what was read was this kind of talk about um, what would happen at the end of his life but before that and what just happened is very significant. You'll remember Abram, Um, didn't have a legitimate child. He did have another child, but he didn't have a legitimate child. And God kept saying, you're gonna be the leader of this great nation, which in that context meant you're gonna have this giant family. And he was like, I don't have any children, and my wife and I are both old, and this isn't happening. And so what we see in verse three of chapter 15 on page 11, is, and Abram said, you have given me no offspring, so a slave born to my house is to be my heir. But the word of the Lord came to him, this man shall not be your heir, no one but your very own issue shall be your heir. He brought, God brought Abram outside and said, look look toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to count them. Then he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Now one of the most important Verses certainly in the Bible to this point, but I I even think in the reading of the Bible, one of the most neglected yet important verses in the whole Bible is the next one. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. Now, I want to stop and do two things. First, the word righteousness that's a a word that we hear all the time that maybe we're not quite sure what it means so i want to just make sure that you understand righteousness means being put in a right relationship with god like we're, we're good we're square we're right with each other right so that's what righteousness means and so it was reckoned to him as righteousness he believed and it was reckoned to him as righteous he was put in a right relationship with god because of his belief now What he believed is interesting. Again, and you can see it on the screens and what that verse says. And he believed the Lord, and it counted to him as righteousness. This is one of the major differences between where we oftentimes are and where we oftentimes need to be. A lot of us, and I know you're all here, so I'm preaching to the choir, we believe in God. We believe in God. And yet, Abram believed God. I want you to hear the difference between those two things. There's a difference between believing in God and believing what God has in store for you. And that's tough. When the going gets tough, when it's hard, when we struggle, we might not believe God. (laughs) We might still believe in God in theory, but believing what's happening is hard for us. What made Abram Be put into a right relationship with God was that he just didn't believe in God. He actually believed God. When he had no children, he was told this promise, he still believed that it would happen and that it would work. You know, in the New Testament, Abraham is talked about as being, Abraham is talked about as being kind of the great truster. He trusted. The difference between believing in God and believing God is the difference of trust and we have to come to learn to trust. Not that we can't reflect and change and alter, but we have to trust what God has in store for us if we really trust the promise. And it was that trust that makes all the difference in the world. Now it's hard. I mean, I think of Abram's journey from this simple shepherd they were the lowest of, of the low in terms of um, occupations. And so he was the lowest of the low. And how he got exalted from that to not just being a great leader, but to be the leader that three religions now point to as the start of their, um, their faith. And what does that mean? Well, that eventually, that's when we get to what we heard read. As for yourself... You shall go to your ancestors in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, in verse 15. When you're in a right relationship with God, when you have it figured, that is when you get to this place of peace. And he was able then to be promised that he would die in peace. And that is a hard thing to do, to trust enough to die in peace. And so we're ending this series that we've been on for so many weeks and we're ending it with uh, talking about a hard topic which is dying with a sense of peace. Death is something that we don't like to talk about. It's something that we'd rather not hear about. And yet, it's so incredibly important. I mean, if you've ever been with someone when they've died in peace, you know it. Like, it's one of those if you know, you know. If you don't, know, you don't. But it's vitally important for us, I believe, to wrap our brains around our own mortality and get to a place where we can understand and accept. Trusting can be hard. But it's a beautiful thing, going from wherever we lowly started to being in right relationship with God and dying in peace. And the master of this conversation is a man named Henry Nowen. I've talked about him several times before, and again, I'll remind you who he is. Henry Nouwen is, was a Dutch priest. He was a Roman Catholic priest who, in the early 60s, decided he wanted to get his doctorate He was a studier of theology obviously as a priest but he also was a studier of psychology and so being a student of psychology, he noticed that theology and psychology were very far apart and there was no interdisciplinary study between the two. He was the first to try to make that link. He believed that those should be interdisciplinary, not two things very far apart. And so while he was getting his doctorate, um, he wrote his dissertation. Now, usually when you get to the point of writing your dissertation, right, it's, it's pretty much a slam dunk, a done deal. If you write your dissertation and it's not accepted, usually they tell you how you need to tweak it so you can tweak it and change it and still get there, right? Well, he went through this whole process. He wrote his dissertation and when he got to the end of it, they didn't accept it because they said his research wasn't academic enough and he was like, that's fine. He took a lesser degree. He just said, I don't need my doctorate, fine. I, did, I, got, I got what I needed out of it. Which I thought was interesting, it didn't hurt him. Because <laughs> he went on not long after that to write a wonderful book, uh, 1972, groundbreaking book called The Wounded Healer. And I've talked about that before. The Wounded Healer was a book that, the, the premise of that book is, those who've gone through a trial and a hurt, they are the best equipped to help someone with that same trial and hurt. Right? It's one of the actual stepping, like foundational stepping pieces of of, uh, 12-step programs in AA. Right? Someone who's recovering from addiction is far better equipped to help one who is in addiction than some kind of person who's never been through that before. Right? And so, Henry Nouwen wrote that book. It exploded. It was a big deal 20 years later when I went to seminary, it was a big deal. He went on to be a professor at Harvard, he immersed himself in that, he became a prolific writer and author, and then he kinda got tired and he felt like he was too far away from people, so he actually negotiated with Harvard, became a part-time professor at Harvard, and then a missionary, and he went to Bolivia and Peru to do mission work there. And it was in tho- that context in South America that it got connected to a community called LARC, which is um, a, a French-based um, organization that creates intentional community between those who have and who do not have developmental disabilities. And they create beautiful communities together for those of um, just varied abilities, and they all live together in harmony and in kind of God's word. He wound up landing at one of those communities then in Toronto, and he spent the last 10 years of his life there. The cool thing about Henry Nouwen is that right before his death, and he died tragically actually, while traveling of a heart attack, but he wrote this book, it was one of his last, and this is my copy and it's pretty tattered from all of the use, it's called Our Greatest Gift. And the premise of this book is that when you come to understand your own mortality, it is the greatest gift that you can receive. And when you learn to cultivate peace in your life around your own death in your own mortality, that it becomes the greatest gift that you give to those around you. Embracing and understanding your own death is the greatest gift we can both get and give. Because what happens is we become somewhat like a parent, not just to our children, but to those around us as they struggle with our death and our impending death. We are there to nurture and care for them. It becomes the legacy that we give because there's this completeness. When we get in touch, when we not just believe in God, but we believe what God has in store for us, we believe God and the promises that God has for us, it is then that we have this completeness and we can die in peace. And that is the greatest gift. Again, if you've, if you've ever experienced it, and I have on multiple occasions, but if you've ever experienced it, you know it makes all the difference in the world. I know in my own life. You know, my, my mother and I were broken in our relationship for decades. And yet, a good five or six hours at the end of her life that I got to spend with her as she took her last breath, healed decades of strife because there was this sense of completeness. It was the greatest gift and the legacy that she could have left me. In the midst of all of this turmoil and hardship, that was the greatest gift. And that's the key to the gift of grace. It is the legacy that we leave. And if you want to just think about it in that terms, in that term, what, what... what legacy do you want to leave? What gift do you want to give as you go heavenward? Well, again, I'm gonna raise the story of uh, the Metcalf family. Uh, I've, we've talked about them before. Matt and Paula, seen here, have been, Paula's been a member of Sheridan for 40 years or so, and they raised their two daughters here, and were active and involved in a variety of different ways. And, um, their second child, Allie, has been here and sung um, for us. We can go to the next slide, I think. Has been here for us and sung um, with uh, us her song. She's a, as I said in the children's message, a Christian um, uh, singer and songwriter. And she sings um, beautifully. I want you to en- encourage you to look at her stuff online. It's it's awesome. Um, but, With her permission, I tell the story of this song that she wrote called, I Have Peace, which was so germane for today in what we're talking about. Because Allie, with her third pregnancy, um, had proclampsia, and it was uh, really bad. Um, And you know, it it can make your blood pressure just do horrible things um, for the mother. And she wound up um, having to have her third child um, birthed early, like 10 weeks. And usually that takes care of things, right? But after the birth, um, Allie spent about 10 days in the intensive care unit while doctors were trying to figure out what was going wrong with her blood pressure and basically just clinging to life. So she had this near death experience. And as I talked to her this past week about it, you know, we had a good conversation. She was like, you know, I'm this person of faith and I thought I, you know, I should be the one who to believe and I shouldn't have any problems believing and she said I was scared. And so I wrote this song to remind me of what I already know. I have peace, I just need to be reminded of it sometimes. So I wrote this song as a reminder that I have peace. And you know, it was so, she was so sweet, I, 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 I tried to, you know, soften it i was like well you know you just had a baby and had other kids at home and so it was okay to be scared and you were probably scared for them and scared for other reasons she was like, "Uh, -uh, i was scared and i wrote this song to remind me that i have peace well as god would have it the parallels between her writing that song and her father's cancer journey um, were palpable right so her Her father, Matt, who's a dear friend of mine, um, was diagnosed with three separate cancers over a two-week period. And the one had progressed to the point, and this was a month after I Have Peace, the song was released, a month after that, Matt was diagnosed with terminal. And so Paula called Allie and said, sweetie, dad's cancer's to a point now where it's gonna take him. And Allie asked if she could talk to her dad on the phone. So Paula handed Matt the phone and Allie was kind of like, Dad, how are ya? And without skipping a beat, Matt said, I'm just like your song, I've got peace. And you know, Matt was the kind of guy who just wasn't gonna fake anything. (laughs) He was just gonna tell it like it was, right? And he wasn't raised in church and he wasn't raised with all these faith constructs, but he got it. He knew it, he had it to the depth of who he was. And he lived out those days in peace. And as Paula and Allie will tell you, that was such an amazing gift, and that was a legacy that he left them. Because relationships get broken and things get hard and other things go on. There's a variety of things that anyone can point to and certainly that family can point to as struggles in their lives. But the legacy of peace that Matt gave is incredible. And so as we wind up this series, and we will hear Ali's song in a few, but as we wind up this series, I pray that you will not just believe in God, but that you will believe God and trust in what God has in store for you. And that will be reckoned onto you as righteousness. And out of that righteousness, you will find peace. And that peace will be the greatest gift you've ever known.